Yeah, be seated. Thank you. Chong, Jackie, thank you so much for stepping up here today. Guys, you may have noticed Hunter's not here with us today, so we'll be praying for Hunter. He's uh, under the weather. And I want you to know, Hunter loves his church so much that he came in, and then Jackie, who was singing over here, took one look at him and said, go home. And if you've, if you've been on the pastor's church team with Jackie, you know, you just have to be careful. Choose your battles when you disagree with Jackie. Am I right, Anthony? So, All right. So, uh, so Hunter's gone home, so, uh, uh, but we're gonna, Hunter's done a good job of raising up a team, so a lot of people are shifting around today, and I just want to say it reminds me that we've got a great church. So Chong didn't know she was leading today until like an hour before the service, and, uh, so, uh, and then she had another responsibility, so Nate came in and filled in with her responsibility, and so just all sorts of things that happened here. We've got a church full of servants that love Jesus and love this church, so uh, just glad to, for you guys to... Uh, to be here and I'm glad to be a part of it today. Well, welcome to the new year. We made it to 2024. All right. <laughs> so now we are ready, all set for a brand new dumpster fire of a year. All right. So hopefully not, but we're going to talk about that today. Um, but we talked at last week about how it, it had been a rough year <clears throat> for, for a lot of people. And um, it had been a rough year in, in some ways for our church because we had a church without, uh, without a permanent pastor. Uh, for a while and so but we've managed through and God's done some good things we've we've lost people we've added people um but I as I got thinking about that and thinking about some of the hard things that have happened I just got reminded that you know what being a Christian is by definition hard when Jesus talked to people he never said things like oh come with me and everything's going to be okay well he did say things come to me if you're weary and heavy laden I'll give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But he also said to people, he said, I've not come to necessarily bring peace. I've come to bring turn father against son and mother against daughter. And sometimes it's going to happen on brother against brother sometimes. Not that he wants that to happen, but he knew that when people start following Jesus and we start bucking against the world, it starts causing a problem. Or an old way of looking at this, when you're floating downstream, you don't get hit by a lot of junk. But when you're trying to swim upstream, Everything the world's bringing downstream winds up hitting you in the face. And so that's what it's like. And that's what Jesus talked about. So as we start off this new year, I want to look at a, at a passage that talks about that. But let me ask this question first. Are you a better Christian right now than you were in January of 2022, 2023? I'm not asking you to raise your hand or anything, but just think about it. Are you a better follower of Christ than you were a year ago? Or let me ask it this way. Do you want to be a better Christian in 2024? Now, most of us would say yes, but we have to think for a moment, what does it mean to be a better Christian? Well, let's just phrase it this way. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you want to be more like Jesus? That's what discipleship is, just conforming us to the image of his son, conforming us to be like Jesus, to learn to be like him and everything. If you really want that, it's not easy. In fact, it's very hard. And sometimes we have to think about what changes specifically we need to make to be more like Jesus. So when we think about that, some of you may think, I, well, not some of you guys, but some people in those other churches, okay, might think, I don't know if I want to do that, okay? I want church to be easy. I want a church where I go in and I feel like just if I, if I just do the basic minimum, everything's going to be cool. So you might be, I don't know if we can get it up here. I, I had a, used to have a cartoon on my desk. And I got a copy of it here for you. Okay, do we have the slide? Maybe we don't. There we go. The light church. Okay, and this may be what some of the people are looking for in a church. 24% fewer commitments. 
home of the 7.5% tithe. For those of you who don't know, tithe is normally 10%, all right? 15-minute sermons. Yeah, good luck with that. 45-minute worship services. We have only eight commandments. Your choice. So you can kick out two of the commandments you want to. We just use three spiritual laws. If you're my age, you know there used to be a booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws. We have an 800-year millennium. In fact, we're everything you've wanted a church in a church and less. And so that's what some people are looking for. Fortunately, this is not Fresno Church. I don't think it is. If that's what you're looking for, then this is not the place for you probably. But if you're looking for something more, then that's the kind of church we want to be. Now, even though this isn't Fresno Church, let's be honest, we all have that tendency to want to phone it in once in a while, to want to coast. I mean, let's be honest. Think back when you were in school. If a teacher ever was dumb enough to say, this won't be on the test, you all quit listening, didn't you? You quit paying attention if it wasn't going to be on the test. We all tend to coast at one time or another. I have that tendency, too, to be lazy sometimes in our spiritual commitment. We get tired. But I'm thankful that this church has not gotten tired during this interim time. And we've had very few people leave the church. We've had many people step up into new responsibilities. We've had people join the church. And today I want to remind you, I want to remind you that Jesus never promised us an easy road. He never downplayed the struggles that we would face. And here's his recruiting pitch that he, that he offered to people he called and people who wanted to follow him. It's in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. We're going to look at just a few verses there, verses 57 through 62. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Here's what Jesus, they're saying. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, him being Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told him, foxes have dens and the birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Then he, Jesus said to another, follow me. And that person said, Lord, he said, First, let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news about the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Some harsh words from Jesus, but we'll unpack them here in just a moment. Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word today, we really want to focus on what it means to follow you. Father, we have sung your praises. We've gathered as your people. We have um, proclaimed that we belong to you. Father, and and at the end of the service, we're going to have baptism, where some people are publicly going to say, I choose to follow Jesus. Father, most of us have said that, but help us, Father, today to learn more of what that means, to follow you, so that we can discover your will for our lives and for our church, and be more like Jesus in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let me set the stage for what's going on here, okay? Even though this is not halfway through the book of Luke, it's Luke chapter 9, this is actually Jesus' start of his final journey to Jerusalem. You may not have realized that, but over half of the book of Luke is devoted to like the last week or two of Jesus' life here on earth before before his crucifixion. In fact, earlier in that passage, it says Jesus, just before where we read, it says Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. In fact, the Greek says he stiffened his face. It meant that Jesus said, 
this is where I'm going. This is my journey to Jerusalem now. And he knew he was going to die. Jesus knew this was the last trip he would take before his crucifixion. So it was a serious time for him. And so Jesus was a little bit more focused on the importance of the mission. He was always focused on the importance of the mission, but now it was like supremely important because he knew what he was about to do. And so he's with singleness of purpose as a way of looking at it. He was making his way to the place of his death. Now that doesn't sound like a, a sermon to pump the church up, does it? Come, let's follow Jesus and die. But there is a sense of that that we're going to look at. Jesus was so aware of the importance of his mission, he had no time for casual followers at this point. And in this passage, three people came to Jesus and offered to be his disciples. And how Jesus responded to each one of them gives us a little insight into how we can grow as disciples and how we can help our church continue to be the kind of church God wants us to be and how we can grow spiritually and we can grow physically for him. So let's say the first thing this passage teaches us, the first disciple teaches us to accept problems. That's this very first guy, the first person offered to follow Jesus anywhere. He's what I call the eager disciple. So he was eager to do it. And you've seen some people like that. The people that just, they, they follow you, they're eager to jump on it. And then what happens usually is they get into, they meet the church's cold water committee. All right. Every church has one somewhere. They get somebody to calm down. So he was eager to follow Jesus. This time Jesus tried to slow him down a little bit. So he says, Jesus, I will follow you anywhere. Now there's a parallel passage of this in the book of Matthew that says this person was a scribe. A scribe was a person who studied the law. It was somebody, it was a theologian of the day. It was somebody who, who really learned a lot about the Bible and a lot about uh, the, the Old Testament scriptures. And so this guy was fairly important person in Jewish life. And you would think that Jesus would be excited to have this person follow him. If we had somebody like, you know, if the, the mayor or the chief of police or, or somebody important that we thought, you know, came and became a part of our church, some of us would be like, yeah, that feels good. We're, we're a good church. We've got this important person following, you know, being a part, throwing in with us here. But Jesus didn't encourage this guy. In fact, he discouraged him. Jesus told him that even foxes and birds have it easier than somebody who follows Jesus would, would have it. And as far as we know, Jesus never owned a home. He never, everywhere he went, he had to borrow lodging. And sometimes he didn't have a place to sleep. He slept out in the open. Jesus never owned a home. As far as we know, he never really had uh, two changes of clothing. Jesus had very little with him. And this scribe, the scribe, having a respectable position as a teacher of the law, probably had comfortable surroundings. Could he give it up to follow Jesus? Would he be willing to give up that comfortable surrounding to follow Jesus. If he knew how many problems there would be in following Jesus, would he still do it? If he knew that Jesus was walking to his death, would he still be eager to follow? That's the interesting thing. That if we said, if Jesus was saying to each one of you, I am going to my death, I want you to follow me to my death, would we be willing to do it? To be honest, when I first became a Christian, I don't know if I would have or not. I honestly don't know if I'd understood it all at that point. But that's what Jesus is doing. His call to us is also a call to die. Not die physically, but die to our old natures and to follow a new way of living. Now, the Bible doesn't say what the scribe's response was. 
It only tells us enough, it only tells us enough to remind us that there are prices to pay in following Jesus. If we're going to follow Jesus, we must accept that there's going to be problems. It's going to cause problems in your life. It's going to cause people in your life who don't follow Jesus to not understand some of the things that you do. Uh, there's a, a Christian named, by the name of M. Scott Peck. He's a Presbyterian Christian. He wrote a book called The Road Less Traveled. I don't know if any of you have read it or not. It's an older book now. It's more of a psychological book. It's not a, not a Christian book per se, but the writer is, does have faith in Jesus. But he, he starts off, the first line of his book says this, Life is difficult. It is a great truth. Because once we see this truth, we transcend it. Once we know that life is difficult, then life is no longer difficult. He goes on to say it's simply just life then. And that's one of the things I think we need to accept when we follow Jesus. Say following Jesus is going to be difficult. So when somebody doesn't understand what you're doing, or when, when you want to get mad at somebody who cuts you off, or somebody who, gets, who, 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 is, who treats you badly at your house or at your office or in the store, and you want to react to them in your worldly way, and you can't because of Jesus, you have to say, hey, that's what I expect. If you have people who've broken off relationships with you because you follow Jesus, that doesn't happen too often in our, in our country, but we have brothers and sisters that have been a part of our church that have had family members that have rejected them because they follow Jesus, and they realize that's part of the cost of following Jesus. If Jesus asks you to give up something, maybe it's something bad for you, okay? then would you be willing to do it? What if Jesus asked you to give up something that most people thought was good for you, but Jesus said, for you, this is something you need to give up for me. Would you be willing to do it? If you wound up being poorer in your retirement because you were generous with the money Jesus gave you, would you be okay with that? That's what he's asking us to do. I love love the fact how quiet it is in the church right now. Because we're talking about some hard things. We're talking about some hard things here. And trust me, as I listen to it, as I read this, as I wrote this sermon, I'm sitting there going, yikes, I don't like some of the things I'm having to say here. But that's the way it needs to be. But actually, that's a good thing. There's another uh, kind of Christian by the name of Brene Brown. I don't know if you've read any of her books. She's a popular researcher, psychologist now. Uh, She says this, actually, in one of her books. She says, comfortable learning environments rarely lead to deep learning. And what that means is that it's when Jesus challenges us, when he makes it difficult for us, that's when we actually grow. That's when we get stressed. Think about it. If you had a class that was too easy for you, you don't really want to learn anything in a class that's too easy. Okay, Alec, you're starting starting Fresno Pacific, aren't you? Okay. And, and you, you'd love to have easy classes, wouldn't you? They're like, ah, I get this, okay? But it would bore you and you wouldn't learn anything. So Sam, when he comes home and he's complaining about the class and he's complaining about stuff, you just look at him and go, hey, this is when you're learning right here, okay? And then just don't listen to whatever he says after that because it, be, it may not be a happy thought, all right? But we, you have to admit that. Student, okay, isn't it true, ladies? That, when you're, that it's when it's hard is the only time we're really learning, okay? That is the way it is. It's only when it's hard. And so Jesus sometimes needs to stress us. It's the way he's made us that we need to actually learn. It's only in the tough times. I don't usually learn. Okay, I'll put it this way. For years in my life, I didn't know much about empathy. 
I didn't even understand the word empathy. I didn't get it. I confused it with sympathy. We don't have time to get into it now. But my life generally had been pretty easy. You know, people say, like, what's kind of bad has happened to your life? Um, I don't know. Um, I didn't get into the fraternity I wanted to get into in college. I mean, that's like when I think about hard things like that. I'll be the kind of people look at me and go like, dude, you just don't get it. It wasn't until I had some really tough things happen in my life that I began to understand empathy. When I lost the first job I lost that I really liked. When I got rejected for some things that I didn't want. I had some people break some relationships with me. That I began to learn that I've got to change. I've got to grow in some certain areas. It's only when things are tough that we learn. And so when you say Jesus, when Jesus makes it tough for us, it's not because he's being mean to us. It's not because he wants us to have problems. It's because he wants us to grow and wants us to learn. That's what this is all about. So in many ways, I'll say, though, our church is a little bit comfortable. I think our church is a comfortable place to be. Things are going smoothly. Our programs are running fine. I mean, our budget's not great. We could give people a little bit more, but God is providing. We're, we're making do with what we have. It's great. Um, you don't have a permanent pastor, but you have one good-looking interim. Okay, so that's, there we go. took some of the edge off of what I was saying there, all right? Uh, and again, I just talked about how good it is that, that people were able to step up when Hunter wasn't here. Hunter, we do miss you, but I uh, hope you feel better soon. He's not feeling well today, but we have people that stepped up, so there's some good things going on at this church. But comfortable is not necessarily good. In fact, Amos chapter 6, verse 1 says this, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. And Zion in the Old Testament was, a, was, a, was an image for Jerusalem. And in, in the New Testament, it becomes an image for the, the, the kingdom of God, the people of God. Woe to those who are at ease. Because that's not a good thing to be at ease, to be comfortable. You know, before COVID, we were hitting close to 300 at this church. Now we're just right around 100 or so. And granted, many people moved out of the area. But honestly, some people, when COVID hit, just moved on. Just said, I'm I'm done. They, were, they wanted to go someplace comfortable. A lot of people just watch church online because, again, these chairs, comfortable as they are, is not as comfortable as your couch at home. Okay? The clothes you wore to church today, are, hopefully they're comfortable, but they're not as, probably as comfortable as your pajamas. All right? So that you could, you, could, you could be at home. Okay? We've got good coffee and snacks. Mona, thank you for helping that, and, and Destiny, and you guys that help with, with all this stuff, but it's probably not as good as the snacks you have at home because you have what you like at home, you know? But comfortable is not what it's all about. So the bottom line for our church is we're a plateaued church. We're growing. We are growing, but slowly. So it would fall into what's called plateaued. However, if we're going to grow as a church and become the church that God wants us to be in the future, I think we are the church God wants us to be right now, but if we're going to be the church God wants us to be in the future, we're going to have to accept that there are problems and hardships that come with being followers of Christ. In fact, some people would say the more problems we face as a church is the more evidence that we're being the church God has called us to be. Because following Jesus was extremely difficult during his earthly ministry, and it's difficult today. Now, sitting in this room listening to a sermon is not difficult, but following Jesus is. Even sitting in and being in a small group 
which we're going to start a new round of small groups soon. We're going to ask people to get involved with that so that we can learn from each other and grow together. But that's not difficult. It's really not. But following Jesus is. And serving Jesus in a growing church, you better believe that that's difficult. And so we're going to have to be uncomfortable. As we minister to more people, it gets messy. Think about it. When you have people over to your house, is it as clean when they left and as, 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 as neat when they left as it was when they got there? Probably not. In fact, if your house is neater when people leave, you need to do better cleaning, okay? If people want to go, like, let me just kind of put these dishes away, all right? All right? Having people is messy. When we bring people into the kingdom and they commit their lives to Jesus, they're coming with their problems. They're coming with their hang-ups. They're coming with their, with their bad habits. They're coming with all sorts of things that Jesus is working on with them. All right? And they're not going to look like us. And I'm not talking about ethnicity. We're relatively diverse church. We could maybe do a little better, but we're, we're doing fine with that right now. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about they're not going to be mature Christians. They're going to come with all sorts of problems. They won't always do the things the way we're used to doing them. And worse yet, when people come to our church, they're going to sit in your chair. They're going to park in your spot. Oh no, how can we deal with that? But they're also going to bring a lot more problems than that. So we just have to accept to be a growing church. And when you're, even before your new pastor comes, when your new pastor comes, we're going to make changes and keep growing and keep doing things differently. But that's what Jesus calls his people to do. But it gets a little worse. Let's look at what the second disciple said. Second disciple teaches us that we have to align our priorities. So the first one teaches us to accept problems. The second one teaches us to align our priorities. The second person was willing to follow Jesus. He offered to follow Jesus, but he wanted to do something else first. He's what I'd call the reluctant disciple. So we had the eager disciple. Now we have the reluctant disciple. He asked Jesus to delay his discipleship until he could bury his father. Now, at first reading, this looks like a troubling passage. But again, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of details. We don't know if his father had just died. Maybe his father had just died and he needed to perform the burial. Or we don't know if his father was about to die. Or we don't know if his father was just many, many years away from dying. And he was just saying, let me wait until my father is dead before I follow you. So we really don't know what the situation was. But in any case, the man wanted to fulfill, fulfill his duty to his family of taking care of his parents before going off to follow Jesus. And just based on that, Jesus' answer seems a little harsh. But again, we don't know the whole situation. One of the things that's hard when you read the Bible, you don't know the t- we don't hear the tone in Jesus' voice. We don't hear the look in his eye. My best guess is that Jesus did not look at him and go, let the dead go bury its dead. You come follow me. I think it more like this. My best guess is he was worried about his dad. Maybe his dad was getting up there in years, but not not dead yet. And Jesus looked at the man and said, look, you let people who are spiritually dead worry about those kind of duties. If you want to follow me, it's going to be okay. You just come follow me and let other people worry about that. That's more likely. That fits with the Jesus I see throughout the Bible right there. So, <clears throat> again, we don't know the whole situation. The Bible just tells us as much as it wants us to know. But remember this also. 
that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. His whole earthly ministry was about to climax. He had no time to wait. It was time to act at that point. And I think there's a real sense where Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you got to do it now. Because I won't be here in this way after this. This is the time to step up. And if you're serious about it, you got to do it now. Not that you can't follow Jesus after, the res- after his death and resurrection, but to that man following Jesus the way he was thinking about, there was no other time to wait. Jesus said, it's now or never as far as following me physically like this. Jesus, but what we really need to know is, Jesus was calling him to a greater task of telling the good news of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God had come through Jesus. And so there's a real sense of Jesus saying, if you feel the call to follow me, you let those who are spiritually dead worry about burying the dead. There are other people that can take care of those things. You come and follow me. There's no greater priority than following Jesus. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to learn to realign our priorities. This is tough. This is the one that gets to me the most right here because I have a tendency towards procrastination. All right? Uh, If you don't believe me, ask Hunter because Hunter would love to get my sermon outline and stuff way before he does. There have been a few times I've given it to him like 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoon, and that's just wrong. And Hunter, I'm sorry about that. I'm working on that, okay? But I have a tendency towards procrastination. In fact, I agree with Mark Twain, who said this, never put off till tomorrow what you're going to do day after tomorrow. That has sort of been my mantra right there. Some of you I see agree with that, okay? That's not good. Actually, the words we ought to follow are the words of Ecclesiastes 11.4, who says, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. And that was was, uh, Solomon's way of saying, look, if you're waiting for the perfect time to do things, you're never going to find it. Many of you heard the old proverb, maybe you know, when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. When's the second best time? Right now. Okay, so, <clears throat> so I tend to do that. I tend to, I, I tend to put things off. But a lot of Christians procrastinate their own spiritual growth, and that bleeds over into the growth of the church. A lot of people say, you know what? I want to I fully commit to God, but I want to wait till I finish high school. Or I want to wait till I finish my studies. Or I want to wait till we have our first kid. Or I want to wait till after, you know, to look at you guys, so thank you for being pregnant so that we can, so you can be that illustration there, okay? Line up somebody else after you're done. So we always have a, we should always have a pregnant lady in the church. So I've got sermon illustrations here, okay? But it'd be, it could be your temptation to say, oh, we'll, we'll, while the kids are the kids young, we won't, we, we'll have to back off a little bit there. And then, well, once we get them through elementary school, then once we get them through junior high, then, you know, basically, and then the next thing is that once our grandkids are out of high school, you know, so it's, it's easy to keep procrastinating and waiting and waiting until all that's left is just your last few years. If we procrastinate over and over, we've got to align our priorities. Maybe like the man in this passage, you're saying, I've got to take care of a family first. Yes, you should take care of family, but it does not take the place of following Jesus. Or maybe you're wanting to wait till you get things right in your career, or maybe till you get your finances in line, or maybe if you're younger, till you get to find the right college, or finding the right mate, or finding the right job. Or if you're even younger, maybe it might be making that right sports team or finding the right boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever it might be for you. 
Now, church, I want to tell you this. I don't expect church to be your number one priority. Let me say that again. I do not expect Fresno Church to be your number one priority. Family does come before Fresno Church sometimes. But even though Fresno Church is not your number one priority, Jesus is. And there's a difference between Jesus and church. So you can take care of family, back off on some church responsibilities you need to, but only if Jesus says it's okay. Jesus comes first. In fact, Jesus is so far in front that everything else is almost invisible when you're focusing on Jesus. It's not like Jesus, then family, then church, then job. It's like Jesus, and then way down there is family, church, job, health, career, whatever else you want to look at way there. That's the way it's got to be to align our priorities. I can't tell you what it is that Jesus wants you to do next, but I do know this. He wants you to grow. He wants you to be more like him. He wants you to figure that out. And the beginning of the year is a good time to figure that out, to ask God, what is it I can do? What is it I need to do to be the kind of person you want me to be in 2024? And if you let anything be a bigger priority than following than Jesus, then that thing becomes your God. Whatever is in first place in your life, that is your God. And do you want your spouse to be your God? I don't think most of you do. Do you want your job to be your God? I don't think any of you want that. Do you want money to be your God? Nobody wants that. But whenever you put any of those things first, that becomes by definition your God. And with Jesus and following him, there's only two answers. There is yes and there is no, and that's it. In fact, if you say to Jesus, not yet, that's really a no. That's all it is, is a no. Jesus doesn't take, I'll get to it later. All right, how many of you had parents, did you grow up with parents that said that I'll get to it later was a good answer to them? No, that, my dad wasn't like that, okay? And hopefully yours weren't either. Well, Jesus is the same way. If he asks you to do something, then he wants you to do it and do it now, Okay? I've heard the phrase, you know, when, when somebody says jump, you say how high. I think with Jesus, when Jesus says jump, you just start up and he'll tell you when it's high enough. You don't even have to ask. He'll just tell you when it's high enough. Just keep going with that. All right. So <clears throat> anyway, so ask, what do I need to do in my life right now and in 2024 to follow Jesus better and to be the kind of Christian he wants me to be and as a result Help our church to be the church God wants us to be. Now it gets a little worse when you look at the third disciple also. The first disciple taught us to align problems. Second, I mean to, to, uh, to avoid, uh, yeah, sorry. I'll get it right. All right. <laughs> I'll get it right. I can't remember my outline now. Except problems. There we go. That was the word. Align our priorities to second. The third one is to avoid partialness. And that's the third, the third person here. The third person seemed eager to follow Jesus, just like the first one, but he had other things on his mind. He wanted to say goodbye to everyone at first. He's what I call the distracted disciple. So we had the eager disciple, the reluctant disciple, and now the distracted disciple. Surely Jesus could wait for him to go home and say goodbye to people. But again, Jesus seems harsh. He says like, he's like, dude, you can't even go home and say hi to your people. But Jesus knew that this guy was not fully committed to following him. He had things he wanted to do first. All right, it was a a yes, but yes, I will follow you, but let me go do this first. Now, this man was committed to his family and friends, and that's a good thing. 
But Jesus told them, especially in the context here, there's only one thing to be committed to, and that's following me to Jerusalem where I'm going to die. He told him he had to be fully committed to the task or he'd be no good at it. And he used this illustration. He said, no one who puts their hand to the plow and, look, and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Now I'm going to ask, anybody here ever plowed a field with a, with, actual, with a hand plow? I've never done that. But oh goodness, I've heard my father tell stories about it over and over again. So I feel like I was there, all right? And my dad would tell me in, in plowing a field, if you're going to plow a straight furrow in a field, there's only one way to do it. You pick out something at the other end of the field that you're going to focus on straight ahead of you a fence post or or a tree or something and you set your eyes just on that and you just follow looking at that and he said if you turn to look how straight your thing is you're going to you're going to turn naturally when you do that okay you guys probably have all done it before okay all right look back over your shoulder and you wind up inadvertently changing lanes okay i love i think i've told this story before but the the Sunday school teacher told the story about Lot's wife looking back and turning into a pillar of salt. And the little kid said, that's nothing. Yesterday, my mom looked back in the car and turned into a telephone pole. So, um, or dad, you say either one there at that point, okay? But that's what I mean. When we look back, we turn. So the principle Jesus was saying was, if you're setting your hand to the plow and you're going to do a good job, you've got to focus ahead. That's the principle. And, and everybody there understood that because they'd either plowed with a plow or they had seen someone plow with a plow and they understood what it was like. They didn't have GPS back then that guided their tractors around the field automatically, that kind of thing. They understood what he was saying. By the way, my dad, who did the plow like that, I have to admit, he had me cutting grass. And if it wasn't cut in a straight line... My dad knew it. You looked back there, didn't you? He expected that line to be cut evenly. And if it wasn't cut evenly, my dad would say, man, you need more practice. Go cut the neighbor's yard. All right, so that would get more practice here, that kind of thing. So that was that, was that kind of thing. But if you look back in anything, including following Jesus, you won't be fit. You won't do the kind of job he wants you to do. This is a true thing in life. i tell you where I learned this really. Um, I used to be a snow skier. A fairly decent snow skier. I wasn't, I wasn't great. I wouldn't do competitions, but I could, I could get down most, most hills. Um, one time I actually was, uh, I actually used to run a ski camp up in Colorado and uh, was there every day with the kids skiing and stuff like that. I was the rec director for it. The last day we were there, the, uh, the ski uh, instructor, the, the head of the ski school offered to give me and the, and the, and the uh, camp director, I was the rec director, he was camp director, uh, private lessons and so we spent a half day on the mountain with the with the ski instructor and for the last run we said take us down the mountain you thought that you think that's the hardest for us that we can handle and so she took us to a double black diamond thing okay I it probably wasn't but it looked like it was about inclined like this okay it looked like we we're going off the edge of a cliff it was about as wide as from here to that uh, there was no place to turn it was just scary well, we made it down the mountain. It didn't, didn't look pretty, but we made it up the mountain. But here's, if you, anybody skier who, who skis in here? Okay, all right. You'll know this then, okay? Correct me if I'm wrong here, but to really ski in, in control, you've got to lean forward. You've got to bend forward. You've got to put your shins up against your boot like that to force the weight of your skis, the weight down on the tip of your skis because that's how you're able to turn. If you lean back, which is the tendency, if we're all standing on the edge of a cliff, do we tend to go, oh, let's look at that? No, we tend to kind of lean back over some, from something scary. And you put the weight on the tails, and you can't ski, and you've got no steering at all. None at all. 
So the way to ski down a mountain is to fully commit to it, to get your knees bent, pushed forward, and lean downhill, which seems against all, against all common sense. But if you want to successfully navigate a difficult hill skiing, you've got to lean into it completely. Same thing with following Jesus. If we lean back, if we lean back, and I love the fact, I think Jesus invented skiing so it'd be a good sermon illustration one day, okay? I wonder if I can go back and deduct my ski passes as a, as a business expense now, all right, since I used it for, all right, but that was the idea. You've got, in skiing, you've got to commit to it. In following Jesus, you've got to commit to it. And listen, it's a tendency that we don't. Here's one of the most scary passages to me in the entire Bible. It's 1 Kings 11:4, and it says this, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. And his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. That's scary. I don't want that to be said of me or anybody in our church. That they were, and you know, you can think of people, they were on fire for Jesus at one point, but now they've gotten distracted by other things. They've got turned away. I've seen it over and over again. I've seen it in uh, one of the best examples I can think of was several young ladies I've known that, that finally found a, a guy that, who, was interested in, who wasn't interested in Jesus' stuff and their focus was on him rather than on Jesus and they walked away from the church fellowship because of that non-believing guy that they wanted to follow. And it could be said for, for men too, for any of us, but Jesus had no partial commitment. He was on his way to his death. He had no time for anyone who wasn't fully committed to him. Now, he, might, he would take time to help those who struggled because they lacked ability, but not those who lacked commitment. His mission was too important. And what's our mission as a church? It's not to be comfortable or to be at ease or to be relaxed. It's to develop a passionate relationship with Jesus so that we can go out from this place and take the message of Jesus to a hurting and dying world starting right here in Fresno. Nothing else is more important. And the, more, the closer we individually are following Jesus, the better we'll be able to take that message out. Now, I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty, I promise. I'm trying to give you an honest preview of what I think needs to be ahead of us in 2024. We're not here to make things easy for ourselves. In fact, finding a new pastor is not going not to solve problems at our church. It's going to cause problems. That's going to happen. And if you choose the right guy, he'll, bring, he'll, he'll stress us. He'll not push us beyond our ability, but push us to be what Jesus, who Jesus wants us to be. And that's what I want to do in the time that I have left with you. We have an amazing mission together as a church. But it can only be done by committed followers of Jesus. We have an amazing mission field around us with tens of thousands of opportunities to share the message of Jesus. It will be a hard task. It'll be a task that will cause you to rethink and to reset your priorities. It's a task that will call for a total commitment of your life to Jesus. Anything less is simply not worth the trouble. Let me say that again. If you're here with a partial commitment to Jesus, you're wasting your time. It's not worth the trouble. Now, you're welcome here. We love you. 
We're praying that you will grow. But <clears throat> it's only worth it if we're all in and following Jesus with a 100% commitment. So what can you do? First, I want you to accept that being a church, being in a church that transforms lives will be difficult. It really will. Being in a church that transforms lives will be difficult. Second, I want you to reevaluate your priorities during January. In fact, it's something we should do all year long, but particularly here at the beginning of the year. <clears throat> and make sure that Jesus truly is first place in your life. I can't tell you whether you've got something else in front of, in front of Jesus in your life, but the Holy Spirit can, and he will if you ask him. Third, get rid of any yes buts in your life. Okay? Don't be a yes but. All right? Don't say, I will do that. Yes, Lord, I will follow you, but. Because anything that comes after the but is a no. Right? In fact, that's one of the reasons why we're asking. Some of you are going to find it stressful just to do the, the, the scripture reading. We're asking you to do that. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but hopefully all of you have picked up the bookmarks or you've got the, the reading plan or you've gone on. By the way, you can take version and make it your church now too, okay? So you can do, are you going to make that announcement too, Jackie? Am I stealing that from you? All right, but, um, but some of you are finding this difficult, but maybe getting to God's word is what you need to push yourself with right now. In some way, figure out where your yes buts are and get rid of them. And then finally, I want you to look around and identify someone who's missing today and reach out to them this week to stay connected. We only are able to do this in our fellowship together. If people are out there on their own by themselves, they're not a part of this fellowship, well, those are the ones that get taken by the evil one, the ones who aren't part of the herd, the ones who are out there all by themselves. That's where we fall apart. You know, there's an old saying, if you want to go far, go by yourself, but if you want to go uh, if you want to go fast, go by yourself. But if you want to go far, go with a group. And if we want to go far in our growth together, in our, in our growth as believers, we need to do that as a group together. That's why when we start small groups, I want you guys to be involved with them. But for now, just look for someone that's missing this week and let them know they were missed, that they were loved, and that we want them to be on this journey with us into God's plan for our future. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, thank you again for all the people who stepped up, the people who have done a great job of not only just today, but Father, people who have stepped up in many different ways, helping our church to be the church we need to be, helping us get through this interim time. And Father, as we continue to move into your preferred future for us, Father, I pray that you would guide us together as a church, but individually. I pray each person in this room, you might identify what it is that's standing in their way right now what it is that they need to work on, what it is they need to, to, to change in their lives right now to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. And Father, then use all of this to bring us and our church into the place where you can use us in your kingdom and where we can serve you and lift up the name of Jesus throughout Fresno. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.